The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, during, during junior high and high school, I grew up running uh, cross-country, and uh, I wasn't particularly good at it, but I stuck with it from seventh grade uh, onward. And, and so uh, just, just as a, a way to maybe if you didn't run cross-country, uh, uh, so the way they score cross-country is that the top five runners, uh, so there are seven runners on varsity, and the top five runners, they, uh, so if you get first place, you get one point, second place, two points, and so on. And so the team, the school with the lowest points at the end wins the meet. Well, well, our girls cross-country team, I went to a, a high school in Oklahoma City, our, our girls cross-country team, they won state, and I think they were runner-up uh, one of the other years. Uh, they, they had, yes, they had one really good runner, but, but what, the reason they won state is that everyone on varsity, they significantly contributed to the score of the team. In, in cross-country, in order to win state, you can't just have one good runner. You've got to have at least five really good runners. Now, now the boys, on the other hand, uh, we were a different story. Uh, we, we never made it to state, never made it to regionals. We had one really good guy uh, who ran, I think, under 17-minute 5K. But the rest of us, uh, we, we did not contribute uh, to a, a state championship. Uh, but why, why do I bring that up? Why do I have that as my introduction this morning? Well, as we resume our two-part sermon for our passage, and, and if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verses 7 through 16, that's where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But, but as we uh, go through our part two of this passage, uh, our text reminds us this morning that God has given not, not one paid staff pastor or, or not one group of people, but God has given the entire church the responsibility and the privilege and the honor of building up the body and advancing the church's mission. In, in a sense, we're all called to run this race together, church. Not, not looking to one person or, or a small group of people, but to do the ministry, but rather serving one another and spurring one another on as together we pursue our spiritual giftings, which we talked about last week, the, the Christian ministry, Christian maturity, and then finally Christian uh, church growth. Those, those are my four points this morning, uh, if you're taking notes. Our spiritual giftings, the Christ, pursue our spiritual giftings, pursue the Christian ministry, pursue Christian maturity, and then pursue church growth. And we're going we're gonna to talk about what those things mean biblically. But, but it takes an entire church, much like it took the entire girls team working together in unison, striving for their goal of state. It takes an entire church working together as a united church to build up the church as a whole. And so with that being said, let's go to our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter four, verses seven through 16, the apostle Paul says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended. What does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may longer, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we study your word this morning, that, that we would first, before anything else, we would submit to your word as truth. That we would submit to your word as the source of truth and as the ultimate authority for our lives. And so, Father, I pray that as we study this passage together, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. Warm our hearts by the fire of your love this morning. For some of us, thaw our hearts. Maybe, maybe, maybe hearts that have come into this place cold or, 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 or just numbed maybe to the things of you. Father, I pray that you, your word would thaw hearts this morning, that you would warm us by the fire of your love. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace this morning to pursue what you have called us to as a church. To serve one another, to spur one another on. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So so I won't do a full uh, re-preach of last week's sermon. However, I want to touch on and just recap the, the main point from last week. And that was that we are called to pursue are your spiritual gifts. And we see that in verses 7 through 10. And if you are maybe were, if you were maybe a bit confused about the ascending, descending, ascending, he's going back to descending, and he's ascending again. What in the world, Paul, are you talking about? Uh, in verses 8 through 10, now I encourage you to go to our website and you can listen to last week's sermon about that. But, but in short, what, what Paul is saying there is that our sin-conquering, Satan-slaying, death-defeating King of Kings The Lord Jesus Christ, he has now ascended on high in victory. And in doing so, he has allowed us to share in the spoils of his victory by giving each one of us varying gifts of grace. And so that's the whole descending ascending in a nutshell. Uh, And so we walk through then the 16 different spiritual gifts that are still operable today, all the while asking the question, right? what, What spiritual gifts has God given me? If you are a Christian then you have been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. And then the second question we ask is, how will I then use my gifts that God has given me to build up the body of Christ? And so that question remains even this morning. What are the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Have you been able to identify them? If not, I want to encourage you really to pray that God would help you to identify those. And then maybe in, in trying to identify them, it, it's helpful to ask these questions as well, along with prayer. Maybe asking these questions, what are my passions? What, what do I enjoy doing when I serve? When I'm called to serve, what's maybe a drain on me? And then what is an enjoyment to me? Right? We, we want you to serve in your giftings and your enjoyments what what ministry in my life is god blessing and these are diagnostic questions what what gifts just mentioned in last week's sermon the 16 that we walked through which one of those resonates within my soul and then maybe a good question to ask is to ask one another we should help one another identify 
the gifts that God has given to us. And so asking this question to others, what, what gifts do you see at work within me? And maybe if you still need some additional help trying to identify the gifts that God has given you, I would love to, to speak with you after the service and, and walk through that with you. Because, because the way we grow, one of the main ways, one of the primary ways we grow and we flourish as Christians is when we exercise the gifts that God has given us to serve one another and to build up the body of Christ. So that, that's a summary of last week's sermon. So point two this morning, and then we're going to focus on the three main points. And just so you know, church, uh, the, the first point, the second point, it's going to be a bit longer, and then the other ones are shorter. So if we carry on a little bit in this next point, don't you worry. I'll have you out by lunchtime. So, um, but then uh, the second point this morning is that we are called to pursue Christian ministry. We'll see that in verses 11 through 12. Now, now, to be sure, I'm not encouraging everyone this morning to go tomorrow to tender your resignation to your boss and to enroll in seminary classes. And, and I'm not even encouraging you necessarily to sell all of your earthly possessions and move all around the world as a missionary. Though God might be calling some of you to do that. And if he is calling you to do that, then, then you need to respond to him by faith rather than just seeing all the pragmatic reasons why you shouldn't pursue that specific calling on your life. But, but, but if that's not what I'm telling you to do necessarily by pursuing Christian ministry, what do I mean when I say that? Well, let's go back to verses 11 through 12. Look at me with your Bibles. The apostle Paul, he says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So do you see what Paul says there? That, that God has given to the church five different groups of men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, to, to do the work of the ministry, right? Is that what Paul says? Not, no, no, no. He doesn't say that he has given them to do the work of the ministry, but what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You see how that, that paradigm shift right there? It, God, God hasn't given these people, these men to the church to do all of the ministry, but rather to equip and to encourage and to facilitate the ministry of the body. Now, how do we make sense of these five functions today, right? Do, do, do some of these, do they, do they all still exist today or have some of them ceased with, uh, the, with, at, 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 in the first century? And so the answer to that, of course, is yes. Some of them have ceased and some of them still exist. And, and so in one sense, the, the two roles of the apostles and the prophets, they have ceased, right? They are no more because one of the main purposes of these two roles was to reveal and to communicate God's will to God's people. And so the good news is that we no longer have to depend upon a select few people, the apostles and the prophets, to give us supernatural wisdom and vision and insight into God's will. Because he has already revealed this to all of us in his word. He has given us special revelation in his word. And so how many of you in this room this morning, how many of you want to know God's will for your life? Amen. Amen. We all do, right? How do we do that? Well, we read God's word. How many of you this morning want God to speak to you this morning? Or want to speak to you in your life? How do we do that? Well, it's really easy. Read God's word out loud and he will speak to you. God has spoken. He has revealed himself to you and he has done so in 
his word. He used the apostles and the prophets to reveal to reveal his special revelation to us. And we now benefit from that with God's word that we have today. There, there, there are people in life who know God's will for their life because they know his word well. And there are others who, right, you, maybe you're trying to, 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 you're searching and you're seeking and you're bewildered. What, what is God's will? What is his plan for my life? And if that is you, I just want to encourage you, devote yourself to God's word. And as he, you obey his revealed will, he will show you his specific will for your life. He has given us his word, his will. He has revealed his will to us already in his word. So I want to encourage you this morning. Give yourself over to his word. So, so then the question is, okay, have they ceased or do they still exist? Well, in a sense, these roles of apostles and prophets, they, they still do exist today, but in a, a little bit different way. Now, you might remember if you were here last week, uh, the, the gift of apostleship. What does that mean? Now, it doesn't mean, right, that, that it's a big A apostle, that there are still apostles who, who uh, receive God's uh, word and, and thus says the Lord, right? We want to reject and deny any, anybody who says that they are an apostle today. Because, again, that office, that role of apostle ceased with the New Testament. However, that word apostle, it literally means the sent ones, and so if God has given you this gifting, if he has called you to this office, that means you have a deep passion and desire to, to preach the gospel where it is not yet known, to plant churches where there are no churches yet. And so we think of this role in this office largely as missionaries today or as church planners, maybe. And so God has given apostles, but, but he has also given prophets. Now, similarly, you might remember how I spoke about that gift last week. Those with a gift and now the office of prophet, they're, they're not given the responsibility to try to divine what's going to happen in your life in the next three weeks. That, that's not the role of prophet anymore today. On the, on the contrary, those who are given this gift rather have the ability and the gift to communicate God's truth into people's life situations in the authority of Jesus. We, we, it's not foretelling, it's forth. Telling. Does that make sense? That, that, that distinction there. It's not trying to say this is a new word of the Lord for you. It's saying this is how God's word applies to your life in this situation. That, that's the role of prophet and prophecy today. So, so that is largely uh, rolled up into that of a pastor. And, and so God has given to the church apostles and prophets, but he's also given to the church evangelists, shepherds and teachers. And so uh, you're, you're most familiar with the shepherds and teachers, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, on that one for the, for the sake of time. But, but I will say in regard to the evangelist, I, I think if, if the Lord willing, if the Lord blesses our church, if, if he grows it and we're able to bring people on on staff, it is, I think, vital and necessary. But the church many times today omits the role of a staff evangelist, right? God has given, yes, pastors to build up the body, to, to, to form the body into the image of Christ. But God has also given to the church evangelists to, to seek out the lost sheep and to bring them in. And so as a church, we should prize both roles today, that of pastor and of evangelist. And so we got into the weeds a little bit, but how do all five of these then work together for the purpose that we're going to talk about here in a little bit? Well, we see right, the, the, the apostle takes the gospel to a new area. The, the, the prophet preaches biblical doctrine into people's life situation. The evangelist spreads the gospel where the church is. 
And then the shepherds and the teachers, they form the church into the image of Jesus. These five offices are working together. But again, for what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so what Paul is saying here is that you, you, you have been called to the gospel ministry. You are not called just to give right your tithe for others to do the work. No, the moment you are called to salvation, in that same moment, God has called you into his service as his ministers. And so I just want to make sure that we have the proper paradigm here, right? The relationship between the congregation and pastor isn't that of owner and player, right? And going back to the sports analogy, right? The owner of a sports team, he pays the players to, to perform and to do the work of winning the championships for the owner, right? The owner doesn't shoot the threes. The owner pays the guy who shoots the threes to get the money for him, right? No, the relationship is not owner to player. Rather, what Paul is saying here is that the relationship between pastor and congregation is that of coach to player. Much like a coach, the role and the goal, the goal of my calling here as your pastor is to enable you, to equip you, to empower you, and to facilitate you as members of this church to engage in and to, in, to flourish in the work of gospel ministry. Now, now, you might be thinking right now, I, I didn't go to seminary, right? How do you expect me, pastor? How do you expect me to be a minister? How do you expect me to be equipped and ready for ministry? But, but if you're thinking that right now, listen, you have failed to remember who you are. Notice who Paul says that, that he's given these people to equip. To equip who? The saints, According to Paul and according to God's word, if you are a Christian, you are a saint. Remember who Paul addressed at the very beginning of this letter, Ephesians 1, verse 1. Who did he say? To the sinners, to the, to the broken, to the uh, ill-equipped, to... No, who did he say? To the saints who are in Ephesus, you know, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That, that word saint there, it literally means holy. Right? So in, in essence, Paul is saying to the holy ones, God has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip them for the work of the ministry. And, and so listen, if you do feel ill-equipped for this work, then listen, brothers and sisters, you need to remember who you are. We need to remember the first three chapters of this epistle and that our newfound gospel identity, it fuels our gospel mission. Who we now are in Christ empowers us for what he's calling us to do in this world. Paul would put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, that when you became a Christian, Paul says this, you were washed, you were sanctified. That, that's the same root word. That literally means you are holified, right? If you want to put it literally, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. How did this happen? Paul says this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Because you are united to Jesus. You remember weeks ago, we talked about that PVC uh, analogy, if you remember that. What, how, do two PVC, how do two sticks of PVC become one? By virtue of a union. And be, because of that union, the two, in a sense, become one. Right, The two function as one. What is in one flows to the other. Because you have been united to Jesus Christ. 
And because all the benefits of the gospel now flow to you because of your union with him and because you are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, that means you have been uniquely gifted and you have been supernaturally empowered for this work of the ministry. He is calling you to. And so the question isn't, has God called me to the ministry? The question is, what ministry is God calling you to? And so again, church, in order for us to flourish, in order for you to flourish in the Christian life, we need to be asking that question and pursuing the ministry God has called you to in the giftings he has equipped you with. How many of you, how many of you have been on a cruise ship before? Any, 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 anybody on a cruise ship? Yeah, you don't worry, you're not going to be, uh, uh, it, it's, it's all good if you've been on one. I've been on a decent share of mine, uh, and I really enjoy them. In fact, uh, Emily and I went on a cruise January, the end of January 2020, and while we're on the cruise ship, if, if, you, if your mind is active right now, you know that timeline, on, on our cruise ship, we heard that there's this new kind of flu going around the ship. Thankfully, right, we didn't get it, but what happened two months later, right? Coronavirus, the COVID, right? And so anyway, that was our last experience on a cruise. But the reason I really enjoy cruises are for a few reasons. They're one of the most economical vacations, right? If you can get there, then all your travel, all your food, everything else is included. Number two, you don't have to worry about travel logistics, right? The, the, the ship takes you where you need to go. Uh, and you don't have to worry about meals and everything on the ship. This is key. Everything on the ship, right? It's catered to you right? Everything on the ship is all about you. You have people cooking your meals. You have people cleaning your rooms. You have people providing you entertainment. Everything on that ship is literally for you. Indeed, that's the purpose and the mission of the cruise ship. But the mindset shifts and changes a little bit when, when, when you think not about a cruise ship, but an aircraft carrier, right? Similar in the sense that they're both on the ship. They both have a mission, but that mission is drastically different. The, the purpose of a cruise ship is me, right? But on a battleship, the ship doesn't exist for me. Rather, if I'm on a battleship, I exist to further the mission of the military. And, and so why do I share that, church? We have to remember that as New Life Baptist Church, we're not called to be a cruise ship headed into the safety of a harbor. No, God has called us to be an aircraft carrier headed into war. There, there was a, there was a, a missionary named C.T. Studd. Uh, um, he, he said this, I'm going from memory. The, some people want to live within a yard, uh, uh, within the shadow of a steeple. Uh, uh, but I want to live within a yard of hell. I'll, I'll clean that up for you next week. But what was he saying? Some people want to live just in the safety of like going to church, kind of doing their things, doing all the rhythms of life. But he said, but, but he wanted to give his life and to live his life for one thing. And that's to see people come to know the same Jesus he worshiped. And so I want to ask you, do, do you want your church, right, to be a country club kind of cruise ship? Or has God called us to be an aircraft carrier, a battleship, engaging in the mission he has given us to see lives transformed by the gospel in our neighborhood and among the nations? You are called you are equipped. You have been empowered. And so the question is, will you engage? The moment you were called unto salvation by God was the same moment you were called into his ministry. 
So will you be faithful to that calling he has called you to? Will it be said of you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Will you use your gifts for the building up of the body? And so that's what I mean when I say, I want you. I'm, and not, not me. God's word is calling you to pursue Christian ministry. To pursue the ministry he has uniquely and supernaturally equipped you to carry out. And thirdly, I want to encourage you, and God's word calls us to pursue Christian maturity. And we see that in verses 13 through 14, where Paul says this, that that, that he's given these, these five offices for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that why, why, why do we pursue Christian maturity? So that we may no longer, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And, and so Paul says that when we are all working together in this work of the ministry and seeking to serve one another and spur one another on, then this will lead to a spiritual maturity among us. Paul says that we are to build up the body with the goals of one being unified in the truths of the gospel. But then secondly, knowing Christ in a intimate, in an, in an experiential kind of way. And so he kind of recalls, he calls back to the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19. Where Paul says like, man, my prayer is that you would be strengthened, your inner man would be strengthened so that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love, that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of his fullness. He's saying here, the, way, the pathway to Christian maturity is being unified in doctrinal truth and experiencing the love of Jesus. So Christianity, it's a truth we hold to, yes, but it's a person we worship and we follow and we obey as well, a living Lord. And so notice the language Paul uses, right? It's an aspirational language. He says, until we all attain, like we should be striving for and seeking after this. And so the Christian life, if you feel like, you know what, I feel like I've, I've, I've kind of arrived, right? I've, I've mastered it. I've, I've figured it all out. Um, I, I'm pretty good in the Christian life. Then listen, that the moment we get to that point is the moment that pride has won the day in our heart. Paul, Paul would put it this way in Philippians chapter three. He said, not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on. To make this my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so we should always daily in humility be pursuing this spiritual maturity. The, the, the goal of the Christian life. You want to know what, what is the goal of the Christian life? It's not to become moral do-gooders or to become responsible citizens in our society. These aren't not, they're not bad things, but it's not the goal. No, the goal of the Christian life, and my goal as your pastor, is to see you be formed into Christ, to be conformed to his image, and then to see Christ formed in you, to see you grow in maturity in Christ. Paul said in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
And, and so for our lives to be conformed to his image, that means that our conduct must be consistent and in harmony with the conduct of Christ. And, and so maybe just as an example, uh, as an illustration, now, just curious, any of y'all live in an, an, an HOA? Anybody in here? If not, that's a good thing, right? HOAs can be very constricting, right? Uh, but what's the purpose of an HOA, right? It's to bring the workings of a neighborhood in conformity to a set standard. And, and so, no, you can't uh, let your grass grow 12 inches. No, you can't paint your house a certain color. Yes, it has to be brick. And, and on and on and on, right? To conform the neighborhood to a set standard. So, so we are called as Christians to conform our lives to the standard, namely Christ. Or as Paul would say, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, so I just want to ask you then, how is your thought life? What about your affections, your loves? What, what, what about your desires, your emotional life? your feelings toward others? Is your inner person, is it marked and is it shaped and is it molded by nothing but Christ Jesus? When I was preparing this sermon, man, the Lord worked on me in this. He revealed to me areas of my life that were not being conformed into his image. And so if you are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's a good thing right now. Right? The, 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 the workings of the Christian life, it's repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith as we grow into maturity. And so I want to ask you again, is your inner person, is it being molded and conformed and shaped into the image of Jesus? Or is it shaped more by the ways of the world? We will never reach or attain perfection in this lifetime, but it should be our aim and our desire and our goal every single day to grow into Christ-like maturity, to become more and more like Jesus in all things. There, there was a, uh, I shared about him on uh, the Sunday after St. Patrick's Day or the Sunday before, I can't remember, um, one of the two. Uh, but uh, Patrick of Ireland, it's what the, the holiday St. Patrick's is based upon. It's based upon this guy. Um, and I won't go into his story, but he said this, he said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Church, we are called to reflect internally and then to radiate outward the perfections of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This should be our goal individually, and this is our responsibility corporately to help one another to that end. And so what does Paul then say the result of this Christian maturity? What does it result? And Paul says in, verses, in verse 14 that it results in an ability to discern between doctrinal truth and between heresy. And, and so one, one pervasive example of this today, uh, maybe maybe a cunning and a, and a shrewd and uh, something that that seems good on the on the surface, but when you look at it more and more, it doesn't align with God's word. One of the pervasive examples of this today is what's called the progressive Christianity movement. 
And so while it's difficult and probably unfair uh, to put a blanket statement or blanket definition on this, uh, the reason I bring this up is because it is very pervasive. It is very prevalent uh, in our nation, but also here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so maybe people who follow this progressive Christian movement, in some ways, some markers it's defined by is that people who follow this generally question the historical veracity and thus the inerrancy of Scripture. Right? They would say that, that since the manuscripts we have today, they're full of errors and, and they're inconsistent with one another. Because that's the case, how then can we really rely upon the Bible we have today? And, and, and if it's not the original Bible, then if we can't trust that it's the original manuscripts, then if it's not, that's not the case, then I don't have to esteem it as my final authority today. In short, those who follow this, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, are saying the first temptation that Satan gave Adam. Did God really, or gave Eve, I'm sorry. Did God really say, right? And, and so that temptation is really the predominant uh, marker of the progressive Christian movement, questioning whether God's word is really truthful and questioning whether God's word is really authoritative. And so then they have maybe a, a view of Christ where they don't see Christ as savior. They see more, him more as an example, right? And so he's put this example for us. And so we should seek after it. And that's a good thing on the surface. However, the, the order is, is mixed, right? Jesus is first and foremost our savior because we are first and foremost sinners, Right? Jesus said he didn't come to this earth to be our example only. But in Matthew 1, 21, he said he came to save us from our sins. And so have questioned the reliability of the Bible, low view of Jesus. And then uh, another one is to downplay the necessity for salvation. Right. There, there is within this progressive Christianity movement that 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 human that humans, mankind, we are generally good. Right? We are by nature good. And so what we really need not is salvation from sin, but what we really need is to just be more empathetic, more affirming, more accepting, more kind to one another and more loving with each other. And, and so to put maybe a bow on this, adherence of this progressive Christianity movement would question scripture as the ultimate source of truth and as our final authority. They would view Christ less of someone to be worshiped and more of someone just to be emulated. And, and if they would hold to the and they would hold to the general goodness of humanity, that we don't really need to be saved from sin as much as we just need to become better humans. And so while that's pretty black and white, listen, it is an alluring and enticing movement for many because it allows people the opportunity to deconstruct. Maybe you've heard of this deconstruction movement, with especially within younger people. It gives the opportunity to deconstruct and to try to find freedom from what they feel are the constraining theological frameworks that they grew up in, right? To, to be freed from the institutions, to be freed from the, uh, the theological uh, straitjacket, some people may say. And, and so that is a very practical example of verse 14, right? And so how do we not fall prey to these cunning uh, heresies and these... What, what Paul said to these, the craftiness and deceitful schemes of the enemy. How do we not do that? We seek to grow more into the image of Jesus and we seek to be unified in our gospel doctrine. And so may God grow us and may he give us grace to become more Christ-like and to be more discerning. And then as Lord said in uh, Jeremiah 6, if you don't have this memorized or if you're not, if this isn't a common verse for you, 
I would encourage you to, to read it and to become familiar with it. Jeremiah 6.16. Rather than trying to chase after the new theological trends, the Lord says this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Listen, we don't have to chase after the new trends. We have been given the truthfulness of God's word. And so as the Lord encourages us, as Jesus encouraged us to, to, to walk on the hard and the narrow path, because it's on that path, church, that we find life. Ask for the ancient past. And then finally, we are called to pursue church growth. Verses 15 through 16. Paul says, rather than speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. It's very wordy, I know. Now, when each part is working together, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And and so contrary to the new uh, church growth strategies and metrics that are being pushed today, what does Paul say? what, What are the two key church growth strategies that we should pursue? Truth and love. Paul says that the strategy for healthy church growth is for a church to be built upon the foundation of God's word and to be built on the trellis of God's love. And so then, in conclusion, who is responsible to grow New Life Baptist Church, according to Scripture? Who is responsible for this church growth? I I hope you see, that's right, Jeremy, you're waving your hand. That's right, I hope you're seeing the trend here that Paul is getting us to. Notice the pronoun that Paul uses in verse 15. He, He doesn't say he, meaning the pastor. What does he say? He says we, meaning the church, the body. We are, I am responsible to you, You are responsible to me. We are responsible to one another to speak the truth in love and to seek to build one another up in love. And in doing so, we will all pursue church growth together. The way the Bible speaks of church growth isn't primarily increasing seating capacity as much as it is increasing our capacity to serve and increasing our love for one another. And so... Listen, brothers and sisters, we are all responsible for the growth of this church. And the way we do that is by pursuing your spiritual gifts, by pursuing the ministry God has given you, and by pursuing Christ-like maturity and helping one another to do the very same. This is what it means to be a meaningful member here of New Life Baptist Church. And that's what it means to be a Christian, according to his word. And so, two last thoughts. If you... I would just say, if you aren't yet a member of a local church, I would invite you to, to A, either to consider uh, becoming a member here at New Life Baptist Church or trying to find a, a local church that would maybe fit you better. But the key to all of this is, if you're not a member of a local church, you're not able to exercise your spiritual gifts in service to other people. Therefore, you're not able to flourish like God would intend you to flourish. So the key component to the Christian life is the local body is the local church. And so I would invite you to consider joining here or to consider joining another body for your own spiritual good and for the building up of the body. And then finally, I would say, there may be some in this room who would say, you know what? This all sounds great, but I'm not yet a part of the body. I have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, then what I would tell you is this. Jesus had said that he didn't come to call the righteous but he came to call sinners to repentance. This room, though we are saints by God's grace, we know that that we are only saints because of God's work within us. 
Jesus sought us out in our sin, and he set his love upon us, and he saved us, and he can do the very same thing for you as well. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so if that's you this morning, I would invite you to to repent of your sin, to trust in Jesus this morning, and to find eternal life in him. And I would love to share with you after the service how you can do that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.